0: Amen. Well, as you know, if we're um, going through um, this Gospel of God, Romans, and last week we um, spoke about how God is transforming you, how God is changing you, how God is using every situation in your life, even the situation now, you're here in the house of God, God is using this moment to transform you and to change you and to make you into the person like the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we come to a couple of verses in Romans 8 that everybody loves. People look at Romans 8 and they really enjoy reading these verses. And they are wonderful verses. So we're going to look at them together under three headings. The first thing that we're going to look at is a great Defender. I've got a verse where it says here. It says this. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? You know, we need to... This is one of the most amazing sentences in the whole of the Bible. If God is for us. Let's just stop for one moment. Sometimes... When we speak about God, we speak about God so casually, don't we? We speak about God with um, such ease. But the verse says, if God is with us. I mean, when Isaiah saw God, the Bible says he saw God as high and lifted up. Jim mentioned that last week. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord High and exalted. John, in the book of Revelation, he had the great privilege of going up into heaven and he says this, at once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne. The fact is, when you see a throne, you're speaking about power. When you see a throne, you're speaking about authority. When you see a throne, you're speaking about great strength. When you see a throne, you're speaking about majesty and greatness. That's what you see when you think of a throne. That's what you think about. But John turns around and says, you know what? There was someone sitting on that throne. It wasn't empty. It wasn't vacant. There was someone sitting on that throne. And when you think of that someone... John said that when he saw him, he couldn't even look. The brightness of his splendor was so great, so bright. All he can see was color around the throne. That brightness of the glory of God was so incredible. Because God has said in his word, this is what God said. God said this. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. But, he said, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. You know, even in heaven, the angels cannot gaze upon the face of God. The Bible says even the angels, when they worship in him, they cover their faces because God is not just above the angels. God is so above, so supremely high that no one can even look at the very face and the presence of God. Indeed, when John came into his presence, he fell down as though he was dead. When Daniel saw God, he trembled in fear. And when Isaiah saw God, he says, This, woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. This is the God that Paul speaks about in Romans chapter 8. And Paul turns around and says in Romans chapter 8, If God is for us, this is the God. That I'm preaching to you this morning. This is the God that stands behind every single Christian. This is the God who has the Christian in his hands. This is the God who says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. This is the God for you and for me. He says, I have you. I have got your back. I am with you wherever you go through. This is God. And the natural question that follows should be this. Who can be against us? If you have a God that is so great, so mighty, that sits on the throne and rules the whole universe, who can be against us? In other words, he says, come on. Bring all your enemies, whoever they may be, bring your difficulties, bring your problems, bring your struggles, bring man. You want to talk about man? Well, bring governments and, 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 and authorities, bring America or, or Russia or North Korea or England, bring them all against you. What can they do against God? Or you may say, how about Satan? Bring Lucifer. Bring demons, bring every filthy, unclean spirit, bring that against you. Can they stand against God? Absolutely not. Well, how about your difficulties? How about your conscience? You know, that nagging conscience that comes against you and tell you you're not worthy, tell you you're not worthless tell you, that you're worthless, tell you that you're worthless, tell you that you can't do anything. How about that conscience that speak to you every single day? Bring that up against you. Can that stand against God? The answer is no. In fact, all of these things are futile. They may present themselves, but there is God who's on the throne. And when God is on the throne, everything else is weak. I'm not saying that you would not experience tears. I'm not saying that you will not experience brokenness. I'm not saying that you won't experience pain. But what I am saying is that even in those tears, even in those brokenness, even in those moments of pain, the Bible says, God is for you. He is a great defender. But the second thing that I want to say this morning is not only is God the great defender, he is a great provider. Unfortunately, in times of hardship, in times of problems, in times of struggle, the Christian doubt that God is for them. There's a book that um, belongs to Kim, actually. Um, if you want to get hold of it, you need to speak to her, not to me but um, when heaven is silent. This author of this book writes, Ronald Dunn, and he speaks, in a Christian experience, there's times when you think that heaven is completely and totally silent. That you might pray and nothing happens. You might be going through business deals and business problems and and it's all going wrong and nothing's going on you pray and and nothing changes you may have issues with your children and and you're praying for them and and nothing seems to change you may have issues with your spouse or with your health and things are going in your life and you think I am praying surely God is hearing me but I feel that God himself is against me when heaven is silent I don't know about you but that is a problem that many Christians have faced in their times. I have gone through it myself. Think, I could do, pray and fast and God will answer my prayer. And then, and then things go on the same way as they had gone on before. And you think, why isn't God hearing me? Why is heaven silent? I open the Bible and I say, Fits me. Why think God's speaking to me? Well, Paul gives help to a man in that situation. Paul gives help to a woman who finds herself in that situation. Heaven seems to be silent. Look what he says. So the, um, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Let me just stop right there. He who did not spare his son. You know, I'm reminded, as I was writing this message, I'm reminded of Abraham. Some of you know the story of Abraham, when Abraham had to, God told Abraham to offer up Isaac, his son. And God said to him, take your son. Your only son. The son that you love. And offer him up to me. And in my imagination, I I, I see Abraham all night weeping and praying and saying, Oh God, no, not my son, not Isaac, not the one that you promised me, not him. I can just hear him in my mind thinking all through the night. No, Lord, it can't be true. I can't be hearing right the Bible tells that early in the morning he got up took Isaac and he went up to the mountain and you can see him now laying Isaac out there and taking the knife as he's just about to kill his son and sacrifice his son to God, he hears a voice calling from him from heaven saying Abraham, Abraham Do not lay a finger on your son. And in my imagination, I can see Abraham throwing a knife to one side and hugging his son Isaac. Maybe weeping over him. Maybe saying, oh, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for sparing my son. But you know, When I come into the New Testament, God did not have that privilege of sparing the Lord Jesus Christ. When I come into the New Testament, I see Jesus praying a prayer in the garden Oh God, if it is possible, oh Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass me by. If it's possible, Father, do not allow me to go to the cross. I hear a son crying out for mercy in that garden. But not my will, he says, but your will be done. I see a son on the cross crying out, Eloi, Eloi, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I see a son on that cross. Having the wrath of God being poured out on him. Having death and destruction being poured out on him. Everything, every anger, every drop of sin was laid upon the Lord Jesus Christ and punished. As he died and said, it is finished. What was it all for? What the Bible tells me, Isaiah 53 says this, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. In other words, what, the, what, the, what Isaiah is saying is that he was pierced for you. He was crushed for you. The reason why God did not allow him to be spared was because God was thinking about you and me while his son was being killed on that cross. Indeed, God did not spare his only son. Our Abraham had Isaac spared and Abraham went back down the mountain with his son. But God did not spare Jesus Christ. Why? Because of you. And so back to that verse. It says this. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Let's just get it into that bright yellow so you can see it. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things. He who did not spare his son, he will now, even when you're going through the difficulty, even when you think heaven is silent, there's no way God is hearing my prayers, there's no way God's going to rescue me. There's no way I'm going to be helped by God. Heaven seems to be quiet at the moment. Even when I read the word, I can't get nothing from it. It seems that I'm I'm, I'm in in a box all by myself. You need to look back at the cross and remember that God did not spare his son because of you. You need to go back to the cross and remember that in the cross, Jesus was still thinking about you. So even in the problem you're in at the moment, the difficulty you're facing at the moment, you need to remember that history reminds you that God is still for you. That is the wonderful thing about uh, this wonderful verse. God did not spare his own son. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? May I take the time here just to refute some false teaching in this verse. You see, some false teachers take it out of, whole, out of context. And so they take the, um, the all things in this verse and they preach to greedy men and to greedy women, and they say, God will give you all things, is yours. And they will turn around and say things like, Well, you know what? If you want a new man in your life, God will give you a new man. That sounds a curse to me, but if you want a new man in your life, God will give you a new man. If you want a new woman in your life, then God will give you a new woman. If you want a luxury car, a luxury house, a luxury holiday, God will give you all things. And preachers preach to greedy men and greedy women what they want to hear. But the truth is, this first, these all things, is taking struggling believers, Christians who find the way difficult, and saying to them, I will get you through. And I will give you everything you need that you will be able to stand and praise me even in your struggle, even in your difficulty. That is the all things that God will give you. So when heaven seems to be silent, my dear friends, when your prayers don't seem to be answered, don't throw the towel in. Look to the cross, look to the cross, look to the cross and remember that he did not spare Jesus but gave him up for your sake. He's a great provider, he's a great defender, he's a great provider, finally he's a great saviour. Now Paul moves on to these next two verses and he has a second and a third question to put to his readers. And there's many that will, and these are the first question that he puts. Here's the first question that he he puts. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? There's many who will Bring a charge, but will a charge stick? Do you remember when Jesus was being tried? He was arrested at night. He was brought into the um, to the Jewish court, and they were trying to charge him with stuff. But all of their charges were lies. None of their accusations could stick all rubbish, all fall apart, because Jesus was innocent. Sadly, the charges brought against you and me stick. They are not false. In fact, sadly, most of them, if not all of them, are true. We don't need the devil to bring any charges. All we need to do is hold up God's word against our lives. Can any of you here today say that your life matches up to God's standard? Can any of you here today say that your life matches up to God's laws? I don't care if you're a guy in prison or a housewife looking after your kids at home with no criminal background. Does your life match up to what is in this book? The answer to all of us has to be that when God brings His charge against you, when God brings His charge against me, He's right all the time. Who will bring a charge against us? Well when God brings that charge, we know it's right. But here is the good news. The same God that brings to charge, the same God who knows what is true in your life is the same God who saved Jesus Christ. The same God who turn around and say, you are guilty and not turn to- me. Don't lie to me. I know what's going on in your heart. Don't even try to persuade me that you're better than what you are. I know you. The same God who can say that has said I have sent Jesus in order that when he dies on the cross, he will justify you. In other words, all your failings, all your sins, all your weaknesses have been cancelled out. Because of what Jesus Christ has done. Praise be to God. Who will bring a charge against us? It is God who justifies. Doesn't matter if the devil says what he wants to say. I'm more concerned what God has to say. And what God has to say completely condemns me. Praise be to God. Jesus has died in order for me and for you to be totally set free. You're justified because of what Christ has done. That's the second question that Paul brings. Hallelujah. The next question that he brings is this. Who then is the one who condemns? We have someone in the Bible who condemns. You know, back in the day, in the law courts, years ago, when we still had the death penalty, it was a very serious matter to condemn a man to death. And the judge, you sit on the judgment seat after the court has had the deliberations and the man has been found guilty. Back in the day, the judge used to put a black cloth on his head. And once the black cloth goes on his head, the accused knows what's coming. And the judge will say, I condemn you to death. You will be hung by the neck until you die. That was the seriousness of when the judge put a death penalty on a man. It's still quite serious now. The judge if in, in, in states of America, when they still carry the death penalty, serious business. When they tell a man or a woman, they're going to die. Now, there is someone who will condemn you. There's someone who has the authority to send you into a lost eternity. There's someone who has the authority to separate you from God and to send you into a place that Jesus described as a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Somebody say, well, what's hell like, you know? Surely, you know, there's cool guys in hell. There's no cool guys in hell. There's weeping and there's gnashing of teeth. There's someone who will send you there. Who is that someone? Well, Paul tells us. It's this one. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died. Christ Jesus is the only one who can condemn men to hell. The devil can't pull you there. Only Christ can send you there. But guess what? The Bible said that Jesus Christ will not condemn you to hell. Why not? Well, here it is. Because he died for you. The reason why he went to the cross was that you can have a relationship with the almighty God. The reason why he died was that you may not taste death, but that you will go into that place where you will see God face to face. I said in the beginning of my sermon that no one's seen the face of God. But when you get into glory and you have been redeemed and ransomed and glorified, you will see the Almighty God. Who is it that condemns? No one. Paul turns around and says it again. In the same book, at the verse first he says this, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Who is it condemned? Well, it's only Christ is going to condemn. And if you are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation for you or for me. How wonderful that is. Death, you know, wasn't the end. In fact, death wasn't the end for Jesus. Because he turns around and he says in that verse. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, he was raised to life. Paul had to mention that, you know. Death is not the end. He had to mention it, because he's been saying that we are being conformed into the likeness of Jesus. We're being made to be like him. Paul has been saying that it's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Paul has been saying that we are going to be redeemed. Not just our spirits are going to be redeemed and saved, but our bodies are going to be redeemed and changed. He's been saying all of these things. And now he says, I want to remind you that Jesus Christ not only died, but he was raised to life. And you, he says, you who know Jesus you who are born again, not only going to die, but you also, like him, will be raised to life again. Hallelujah. Finally, we have learned last week that the Holy Spirit was praying for you. We've groans that words cannot express. But it's not enough. The Holy Spirit is praying for you, but look what the Bible says. Jesus Christ is also interceding for you. He ain't finished yet, you know. You might turn around and say to Jesus, Jesus, was it enough that you died for me? Was it enough that you rose again from the dead for me? wasn't it enough that you go into glory for me you done all these things for me isn't that enough you say no it's not enough because even while I'm in glory I'm going to do more for you I'm going to pray for you when you're going through difficulty struggles tears pain hardship whatever it may be guess what Jesus is praying interceding for you. Not only the Holy Spirit is praying that you'll be conformed to the likeness of Christ that this problem will change you and make you more holy, make you more like Jesus. Not only the Holy Spirit is praying for you, but in glory at the right hand of God Jesus stands there and he's crying out to God and you are on his lips. Praise be to God. I don't know about you, but I was excited when I was reading this. And I believe that some of you in your hearts, you're turning around and saying, wow, isn't that amazing? Isn't that wonderful? That even though I'm down here on earth, so weak and frail, I have a great provider. I have a great defender and I have a great savior. Praise God and his name is Jesus Christ. Can I ask you, do you know him this morning? Do you know him? Not do you know about him, but do you know him this morning? Because if you know him, you can face any difficulty in your life knowing that if God is for you, if God is praying for you, if God's power and authority is on your side, then nothing that comes against you will be able to, destroy you. Praise be to God. Let us pray.